0: You're listening to Design Talk. This episode is a pod version of an interview from the Business Analytics Educators Forum. Welcome to the Business Analytics Educators Forum. I'm Alan Higgins. Today I chat with Nunzia Esposito Amadio from UCD in Ireland. We talked about the links between operations research and business analytics. Nunzia's own research addresses disaster response and evacuation planning. First, Nancy's key takeaway, two essential technical abilities for analytics.
1: For the starting analyst, in the most broader sense, I think you need really some programming in in Python and some knowledge of uh, some dashboard and or statistic tools, obviously, to, to start at least with descriptive analytics and moving into the predictive one.
0: Next up, the full interview. I'm delighted to be joined today. By Nunziata Espacito Amedio, known to her friends as Nuncia. Nuncia is an assistant professor in management information systems at University College Dublin, and she's a member of the UK OR Society and its special interest group, Waran, and is the current secretary of the Euro Wisdom Forum. So to start, Nancià, analytics educators come from all kinds of professions. How did you find yourself working in this field?
1: Okay, so first of all, thanks, Alan, for having me today. And uh, yes, so my background is in management engineering, uh, which started back in Italy, where I'm originally from. Uh, So I find myself into this realm because um, one of the core um, expertise that we got to I instructed on during the management engineering, at least in Italy, is operational research, which is very near to analytics. So let's say I pursued these studies and then further, obviously, uh, during my PhD and things like that. So that's what en- enrolled me onto the path uh, towards analytics and then potentially being an educator in that.
0: So, yeah, so that's your uh, academic background. And then you've also, as part of that, moved into education. Um, so what are some of the lessons you've learned on becoming an analytics educator? It's not notably an easy field to teach, is it?
1: I completely agree. It's not that easy. It has several challenges. I think um, one of the suggestions that I may have for somebody that would like to step into this path, uh, which I find very useful for myself, is that while I was doing my PhD, I was on a scholarship that entailed some teaching assistantship work. So obviously that led me to participate not in a primary position, more into like a tutor or assistant or a grader. So I got very close uh, to at least the first approach to what would have been teaching or assisting on uh, a module that was either related to statistics or uh, decision making or OR, so getting a bit of flavour of the different subjects that we're going in. So that was a very nice gym and a kind of gym that I recommend to everybody. Even if you're not having the chance maybe of being in a scholarship during a PhD, but you're interested in enrolling into that, just looking for any opportunities that uh, may lead you to assist somebody on a course or something like that it will certainly give you an idea. Then moving on to module coordinator is a different challenge, but at least you already have a bit of a taste of what's going on.
0: So as part of your apprenticeship, um, were you inspired by any lecturers that you worked with?
1: Um, I have to say that I was inspired by all of them in the sense that each one of them taught me something different, Uh, especially because uh, the courses were uh, on different subjects. So I started on uh, a stats uh, course first uh, to assist, and that was for... uh, undergraduate students. And um, then I also had the chance to be an assistant on courses for MBAs, so complete different cohorts. So that, that was also another nice thing, being exposed to different cohorts of uh, students, which are at uh, complete different levels. Uh, I also got the chance, obviously, to help on master uh, courses. Um, so let's say... Um, Depending on the subject, as well as depending on the lecturer, uh, I, I, I took something with me that uh, you know, made an impression on me positively.
0: Um, would there be any strategies you'd uh, employ for teaching that uh, straddle that entire spectrum from undergraduate, postgraduate, to um, masters and, and other? Are there any teaching strategies that you fall back on more often than not because they're just effective?
1: That's a very nice question. So, um, since at UCD I've been teaching both undergrads and masters, so the MBA has still not been in my range here. Um, let's say I would talk. I would say it's a teaching strategy in the sense of uh, preparation for teaching. So, um, one of the things that I think are, is really effective, and also the feedback from students has been positive, is the way in which the material is arranged. So what I try to do is to make actually the most out of our virtual learning environment so that students find a nice way to navigate it so that even before the course starts, the rules are quite clear and have a nice idea of how they will find their own weak structure. So it's a, not a, a synchronous like in the class, but it's more asynchronous or off class. So that's definitely a strategy that I try to implement. So try to optimize it the best The design of the module from a material perspective that the students are expected to use during the course.
0: So I know you um, record a lot of your lectures uh, for students, Um, do you prefer to pre-record and have something polished or do you like to record a live lecture and and save it for them to watch back later?
1: Uh, Okay, so um, during Covid I explored both uh, so I was using a pre-recorded lecture, but it was a very, like, one minute, two minutes. Uh, I was using that to give a preview of the lecture, and then I was still, like, joining online, lively, the students, and then recording that live. So I was having both the types. Uh, the pre-recorded was really a short bit, just to give the students an idea of what we are going to cover uh, that week. Uh, but then I just go, like... I just record freely. I, I tend obviously to edit it in some points, especially if we take breaks or something, you know, so that the students have the overall, only the topics there. And usually um, I tend to record only the lecture. So, for example, for the masters, I have a lecture and a tutorial part. I record only the lecture because I think that's the most. For the tutorial, I provide the, the solutions offline in all different formats as, uh, as possible um and i think the students find the lecture capture quite useful especially because we have this opportunity on the system where they also have subtitles and for some of our students that may not be you know uh, it may not have english as a first language it may also be quite quite useful when they revise for exams so uh,
0: so shifting back into the the current mode which is more the normal style of lecturing have you maintained any of those practices of recording your te- teaching content
1: uh, yes uh, i've st- uh, i stick to the recording of the live lecture so i didn't use the pre-recorded uh anymore Um the feedback was positive but i simply thought that because we were stepping into this uh, new new reality again i just said okay let's start from just the recording of the live capture and uh, let's see how it goes but i'm keeping that and uh, uh, I have to say, um, students are quite happy. I, especially at uh, master's level, I don't see in, a decrease in attendance. They are uh, quite uh, lively during the class and they just take the capture of the lecture as a nice tool to, to revise. So, mm. uh, yeah, I'll, I'll stick to that.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, let's uh, look a little at your research interests.
1: Okay, so my research interest is... Um, mostly in operational research, which, as I mentioned, is the expertise that put me nearer to analytics and what I do today. Um, in particular, operational research is very wide. There are many disciplines that encompass it, and uh, what I look mostly at is uh, optimization, uh, which is a special um, Side of operational research is about mathematical modeling, um, there are different application fields. In my case, my main interest is about disaster management, which may be a topic, uh, say, quite timely at this, uh, at this moment in time, unfortunately. And uh, it's related to try and find some. Modeling some mathematical expressions for problems that may aid in the resolution of some aspects of disaster management. It can be in preparing for a disaster or how to respond for a disaster, obviously, depending on what you want to look at.
0: Okay, so I'm intrigued by you making a distinction, a clear distinction between where business or where analytics fits within operations and operations research. You would see analytics as the the niche within operations. Is that right? It's more. It's like they
1: go hand in hand. There is some overlap, but there is also some neat distinction in the way in which uh, they work. Uh, so let's say um, they are not enemies. Uh, they are. There are some parts where they actually contribute together. You can find some very nice overlaps, uh, but at the same time, they're two distinct fields. So the idea of operational research is more about exploiting these mathematical models to support you in decision-making. Analytics uh, is a bit broader because it contains also the parts related to the visualization. Uh, to a certain extent, may contain also the machine learning, the artificial intelligence. So um, they work side by side, but hmm. uh, and they have some common points, but still, OR is its own discipline, let's say.
0: So uh, we've talked um, before about what is the kind of essence of analytics itself or the process of analytics. You have some ideas as to that as a process. Could you share how you would organize a, a, an analytics process?
1: Okay, so um, yeah, no. My obviously my perspective would be biased from the operational research side. So I would look, I would try and look at a process from uh, that point of view, from the optimization perspective. Um, usually, in that sense, the main idea is that you tend to have a problem that you would like to solve, uh, it would be great if you could have uh, somebody tasking you on the problem, like uh, stakeholders uh, of different sorts, uh, private, public, or government. But let's say, usually academics start looking at the problem. And uh, the next step uh, from an optimizer perspective would be to try and translate this wordy definition of a problem. Uh, into a mathematical expression, which is made up of equations mostly. Uh, But the equations are nicely uh, separated into different um, comparts, because each one of them has its own purpose. So you have what we call the objective function, which clarifies what's the purpose of the model. Do you want to minimize something? Do you want to maximize something else? Uh, Then you may have the constraints, which are all the limitations that uh, you may try and identify in respect of that problem. Um, You have usually the parameters, so all the numbers, the coefficients that participate in the computation, and they are finally associated with the variables. We call them decision variables because they shall be the response that the model gives you in order to optimize that famous function subject to those certain limitations. So um, the idea eventually, once you have this model that may look very nice, is to try and solve it, because obviously you have to do something with this model. You cannot leave the mathematics as it is. And uh, potentially uh, you need a bit of computer science because you need some programming at hand. Uh, The results that you obtain, it would be great Then, if they could be fed back to stakeholders in case they were involved, uh, just to create a very nice cycle of how to involve and especially how to use the results of this model in reality. Because then it's eventually what operational research is about, is about making an application in real world to solve real world problems. And uh, yeah, that's how I would like, I would see.
0: Um, can you talk about some of the challenges surrounding the academic industry interface? I imagine that analytics done from an ac- for, for an academic project is quite different, or at least has different constraints, operational constraints, to that done in an industry setting. Um, and, of course, you've got your research, the feedback loop. Um, what are the, some of the challenges around the academic industry interface?
1: Um, I think you touched on a very important point, uh, which is, Sometimes, academics um, produce papers, but it's very important to make those papers, or at least to also disseminate those results in a way that is not only for academics. It's also important to try and disseminate those results in a way that can make a difference or can be easily understood for stakeholders that do not necessarily have all the knowledge that an academic has. Um, the equation sometimes, yeah, obviously it's important, that's the core, they support all the results, but there is also an important way of communicating uh, the results. So um, I think it's very important to try and bridge the gap in order for the two worlds uh, to work together and potentially arrive at a real, world, uh, a real world application. I don't have any personal experience in industry, but I've been exposed, thanks to my membership to the UK or Society to a society that has, uh, um, is is built on a very nice mixture of academics and industry um, uh, members. So uh, it's very nice sometimes also when I attend the conference to see different perspectives or how the applications may be uh, different because they have different perspectives. So I think it's um, it working on that interface is quite of a challenge and it really depends on the people that uh, that are involved but i really think that academics uh, shall increase their way to try and disseminate their work in a different way so as to reach uh, better uh, other stakeholders
0: so that i find that interesting that you've um identified the audience as the key differentiator there um and naturally i, I guess in industry we wouldn't necessarily assume a level of mathematics competence or, um, um, uh, ability or perhaps recent use. A lot of rusty skills out there. So communicating is key. Um, now everybody says, uh, the power of a good visualization is, is, is gold dust. But, uh, how, what do you advise somebody in communicating their findings? Particularly, as you said before, there are iterations of feedback, aren't there? So presumably everything is in, uh, being uh, in flux to an extent.
1: What I would try to do is to, uh, first of all, like, when you think about presenting some results, sometimes the most immediate thing is um, just a deck of slides. Um, we tend now to use dashboards, obviously, for other reasons, which uh, are very common now in the broader analytics realm but what I would do is really like having some key bullet points on some key results like I want if I had to communicate with somebody that is outside of the academic zone I would try not to overfill my presentation on the mathematical side but I would try to focus more on the rationale, underpinning my decisions, uh, trying to explain more in a wordy context why that limitation was accounted for compared to another one and uh, what that number, what that result actually mean for uh, the person that is in the room. So why that would be interesting and uh, also gaining feedback from them. Like, what do you f- is, is this a number that makes sound to you? Or it's simply or it's, there's something that you think is not working correctly. So I think it would be a mixture of uh, a different level of communication, but at the same time, uh, keep the person engaged. Because it's not that you're only presenting, but you also would like to gain feedback uh, from them on if the work meets the criteria or is going in the, the right way.
0: Um, as a practicing analyst and um, what are the technologies you'd recommend people have in their toolbox?
1: Well, I think I can see, especially based from our teaching profession, that uh, some of the tools that you can't be without uh, are definitely loads and loads of uh, Python libraries, especially for uh, the machine learning, the artificial intelligence, but sometimes also on TDOR side, there are specific libraries that can help you. So definitely the programming there is uh, one of the most important core skills. And the nice thing about Python, we know it's open source, so obviously it's easy to it's easy to reach. Um, but also, I think a, bit, a big part of the analytics today is uh, gaining skill on the visualization that eventually aids your communication. So um, I think it's important to understand that visualization is a tool and then the communication skill shall be paired with that. Like the dashboard cannot say entirely everything, can say lots of things at best, but then you as a human need to add this uh, other piece, which is the insight. So obviously we have currently Tableau, Power BI, and all these other tools that may that may help. Um, I use different softwares from the operational research perspective, but they are very much related to optimization. Um, but I think that for the starting analyst in the most broader sense, I think you need really some programming in, in Python and some knowledge of uh, some dashboard and or statistic tools, obviously, to, to start at least with descriptive analytics and moving into the predictive one.
0: That's interesting. I, I hear different responses. We have different responses from different people, obviously. Um, for many uh the venerable spreadsheet is always in the box, and I think that's probably a very uh, useful thing to have in addition to the programming languages, the third party tools, the visualization environments. Um, and so, what strikes me is I think uh, analysts and um, analytics is all about getting competence in a wide variety of tools, and there's no point at which you'll stop learning a new tool. Yeah. Okay. Um, So to close out the interview, do you have a favorite science uh, or data podcast or or video channel that you'd like to share or even a geeky secret?
1: Um, Okay, so I've actually become quite uh, affectionate to a podcast, which you can find on Spotify, YouTube, like all the main channels. And uh, it started during COVID and is very for uh, operational researchers. It's called Subject Two, And I find this title very nice because... Subject to is the part of our model. So usually we tend to say you have an objective function to minimize or maximize subject to these constraints. So I think it's a nice title. Uh, what I find very interesting is that this academic that leads the podcast, uh, uh, he interviews um, uh, prominent uh, academics, both male and females, but, and about their story. Their career, how they get started. And uh, I think it's very important for somebody just approaching the discipline to try not necessarily having a role model, but getting to know and understand how names that they've read as authors in big papers uh, actually started in a certain way. They were students as well, then they progressed. Like it's so nice to, um, to look at the story of people beyond. The fact that there is a surname on, uh, on a journal article, so I really like it.
0: <laughs> no, that is a, a great piece of advice. I think um, people starting out in a profession are often overwhelmed by the, the people who went before, but if you realise that they just figured things out on the ground and made mistakes and learnt as they went, just the same as you, then um, that's kind of inspiring. I also know you're a bit of a Lego fan, aren't you? I
1: am. I am. Yes. Yes. That's my confession. Yes. <laughs>
0: and do you use Lego for creating pictures or uh, what, what's, what's your goal? What, what's your favorite sort of model that you build?
1: Uh, well, honestly, so far what I've been trying to do is just to replicate uh, very special sets that, uh, that I buy. So I do not tend to buy Legos on their own. I just buy the sets that really interested me so like the harry potter friends uh, and also now the botanical collection i really like this but overall um uh, let's say lego can be also used potentially for uh, our discipline in analytics or or to try and explain uh, some of the problems or some of the bits so definitely it would be maybe nice or a potential thing to bring them into the classroom but at the moment i just leave lego for my personal hobbies let's say
0: that's interesting <laughs> i'm gonna to have to introduce you to lego serious play which might tick that box
1: yeah yeah i want to see
0: <laughs> okay well we'll wrap up there and um, thank you for sharing your uh, experience and thoughts with us today thank you so much Alan. <laughs> thank you for listening don't forget click the buttons for more